Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Close Up by Amanda Quick. This just came out. We're recording in May of 2020, and it's the fourth book in the Burning Cove series. So I would like to accuse Meg of tricking me. How did I? I Because we've discussed the fact that I don't like reading books out of order. And I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. I will give it to Amanda Quick. I had no idea this was part of a series until right now. (laughs) So I think you're, I think you're safe. I think you're safe. We're going to talk a lot about Amanda Quick's backlist in this podcast. So let's jump to the summary and then jump into Amanda Quick. Welcome to Burning Cove, California, where 1930s Hollywood glamour conceals a ruthless killer. Vivian Brazier never thought life as an art photographer would include nightly wake-up calls to snap photos of grisly crime scenes or headshots for aspiring male actors. Although she is set on a career of transforming photography into a new art form, she knows her current work is what's paying the bills. After shooting crime scene photos of a famous actress, the latest victim of the murderer the press has dubbed the Dagger Killer, Vivian notices eerie similarities to the crime scenes of previous victims, details that only another photographer would have noticed. Details that put Vivian at the top of the killer's target list. Nick Sundridge has always been able to see things that others can't, coping with disturbing dreams and visions. His talent, or as he puts it, his curse, along with his dark past, makes him a recluse, but a brilliant investigator. As the only one with the ability to help, Nick is sent to protect Vivian. Together, they discover the dagger killer has ties to the glitz and glamour of Hollywood royalty and high society. It is a cutthroat world of allure and deception that Vivian and Nick must traverse all in order to uncover the killer who will stop at nothing to add them to their gallery of murders. I don't know how to judge that jacket because I thought the book did not work and make no sense and made no sense. And so like I didn't read the character's motivations or the ties to high society the way this jacket is presenting them in Mm -hmm. the text. Mm -hmm. And if that's what Amanda Quick was going for, she failed. But I feel like I can't criticize the jacket independently because the book was such a disjointed mess. Yeah. So as you know, we generate a random number and then we write our own summaries based on that random number. The random number is between 1 and 50. And this week, the the random number was 50. So my 50-word summary is I don't have 50 words to say about this snooze fest of a book. Quick fails to capture the snappy dialogue and chemistry of the best film noir despite her attempts. Did you pick up on the fact that she's a photographer and he's a detective? Blah, 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 snore. So you you had to throw in some filler words there. All right, so yeah, this is mine. In 1930s California, art photographer Vivian is targeted by a murderer. Luckily, she's got P.I. Nick to be her bodyguard. Although the setting is unique, in close-up, quick revisit some of her alter ego Krenz's favorite themes, art galleries, twisty mysteries, black ops, government agencies, private investigators, and psychic abilities. Yep. I mean, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I just feel like I ended up writing more about her other stuff. That's what I was thinking of when I was reading this book. I wasn't thinking of this book. 
Yeah. So the setup bare bones is, as they mentioned in the jacket, Vivian is attempting to make it as an artist, but is doing crime journalism work on the side without credit because it's what pays her bills. She's the one who recognizes very early in the book that she feels there's the murderer is definitely a photographer mm-hmm. because of the composition of the crime scenes, which first of all, no. Um, and so then when the dagger killer decides to kill her for figuring out his mystery, how did he figure out that she's the one who told the police? Unclear. Um, never revealed in the text. Makes no sense. I mean, it's it's because. OK, so here's the thing with this book. We're we're just going to spoil it from now on. So just so you know. OK, you want to do it that way? Sounds good. Yeah, because if you're if you're thinking of reading this book, it is very boring. Um, so that's, that's our review. We're going to get a, a little bit more into it. Um, but there, it, when I say it's a twisty mystery, there are actually three murderers in this book. Yes. So I, I think, well, it, well that depends. It's three murderers in the main mystery, but Nick also takes down two other murderers and they're kind of presented as mysteries too. So you could argue there's like four or five. You could, but there are three, there are three people after Vivian and Mm -hmm. I, the initial murderer decides to kill her for revealing that it's a photographer because the ultimate murderer puts him on the case. Right. But how did either of them figure out that Vivian is the one who figured out it was a photographer? She told the murderer. She told the murderer someone did. She didn't say she did. She, she didn't tell the, she told one of them who then told the other. I don't think so. Like that just, I reread that, read that part. Cause I was confused. Okay. She, the police put it in the paper that they now think it's a photographer. Right. Well, I, I guess so we can should, like, be confused about, it. I mean, this is a confusing book. Like I said, you know, yeah. if you're going to have a twist ending, fine. Like I don't mind a twist ending, but mm-hmm. this is, this is like a twist on a twist on a twist. Yeah, no, it was so confusing so anyway the dagger killer comes after vivian she thwarts him but then by happenstance another serial killer's book of victims gets stolen and then recovered by some pis in the spy world not even kidding this gets tied into post-world war one spies they figure out once they decode the journal that Vivian's name is the last on the list. So they go to protect her. And then it turns out the second murderer was the first murderer's brother, but the first murderer was actually working for a different murderer. It was awful. Yeah. It It was was, so convoluted. No one's motivations made sense. The way information was revealed didn't make sense. It was, it was bad. And the thing is, like, I get a twist. I get a twist ending. I get the appeal of a twist ending. But it has to make some kind of sense. Mm-hmm. Anyway. It's, so, and the POV changes a ton. And I actually yeah. thought it did a disservice to the book. There are, like, 60 chapters in this book. And they're they're mostly all really short, which is why there are so many. But there's, like, a different POV in every chapter. And sometimes in each chapter there's more than one. 
but sometimes the POV is a shifts are a good thing because they give you insight and commentary you wouldn't otherwise get. Mm-hmm. But for example, at one point in this book, the Amanda Quick is clearly trying to convince you that there's this actor character. Mm-hmm. And you're left to speculate if he's the killer, if he's in on it. But the problem is there's chapters of POV from the killer's perspective. Mm-hmm. So like you're, there's no way it's actually the actor. So it, it completely baffles me that Quick wastes pages trying to convince you it could be because you're reading the killer's perspective. You know it's not that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was bad. Okay. It, tropes. Yeah. Tropes. So uh, the big the big trope in this one is fake relationship. Which wasted we, opportunity. Oh, extremely. Waste. Yeah. 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 Definitely <laughs> a wasted opportunity. Other than checking in, they don't have to lie to anyone. They don't have to pretend in front of anyone. Like they're pretending to be married and mm-hmm. they don't have to make out in public at all. It's what are you doing? Yeah. So, but that's, that's the big one. And it was like Lane said, a little bit wasted, but it's supposed to lead to the forced proximity because they're sharing the honeymoon suite in this really nice hotel. But again, it's a honeymoon suite with two bedrooms. So Right? We need only one room in the end. Only one bed. Is- and like, they aren't opposed to being in proximity. There's no like tension they're working through. Honestly, my biggest complaint overall with this book is there was absolutely no chemistry between many characters. Mm-hmm. They just yeah. stated facts at each other until they started making out. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then this is an attempt at romantic suspense. So there's, as always, the protect her element. Whenever you've got a romantic suspense, you've got a little bit of that going on. Yes. Um, and then you've got some sub tropes, one of which is girls can't inherit daddy's company. Mm-hmm. And then she's never had an orgasm, which has to be, which is possibly my least favorite trope, because at least Virgin Widow is like funny. Well, because never had an orgasm also implies you can't figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that bothers me. Like, even if a dude's never figured it out, like. Yeah. You got hands. Right. And sometimes, sometimes I'll say, oh, I've never done that with another person. But even then, I I still just. She's had one sexual partner who was clearly very selfish. So in this case, if like he'd never gotten her off, I would have been like, cool, that's like an element that gives insight to the relationship they had. I wouldn't have bitched about like her one sexual partner was selfish and never like figured out how to get her off. Yeah. I've never had an orgasm end of sentence. Incorrect. Yeah. Um, men also historically only have wanted Vivian for her money. Cause don't worry guys. She's an heiress. She, well, she's been cut off, but not forever. Clearly. Yeah, I mean, so, this um, is like America in the 1930s, too, so it's hard it's to It's very weird off. because you hear a lot of commentary about, like, the Dust Bowl and the Depression, but all of the characters, for various reasons, are still very rich. The characters seem fine, yep. And they even yeah. comment on it. They're like, because I'm a great investor because of my magic powers, which, yeah. by the way both Vivian and Nick have different degrees of magic powers. And also yeah. one of the murderers might have magic powers. Yeah. Psychic powers, but yeah. Um, it's, the same, it's the same diff. I'm going to go with magic powers. 
fine. <laughs> Which you guys, if you've listened to the podcast before, this is Lane. Um, you know that everything else is normal, but which, whoops, she's a witch is usually a way to make me fall in love with a book. Right. <laughs> like there's a whoops, never mind. These are their psychic abilities. And I was bored. That's, that's, how is this boring? It was boring. That's the biggest problem with this book. That is the biggest problem with this book. Absolutely. Is that it was, it was boring. That's been the issue. That's been my issue with her latest books, honestly. Okay. And so here's, here's my thing. So this is Meg. I am huge Amanda Quick fan, like huge Amanda Quick fan. She was one of my gateway authors, right? Um, I started reading her when I was young and then I still read her stuff. I own most of her 90s Amanda Quick stuff. And then when I ran out of Amanda Quick stuff to read, which was tough because there are like 25 books, like old 20 books, I started reading her uh, contemporary stuff. So she's also sort of my gateway author for contemporary because I didn't used to read contemporary novels at all, contemporary romance. So she has three different pen names. There's Amanda Quick, who does the historicals. There's Jane Ann Krentz, who does her contemporaries. And then there's Jane Castle, which does paranormal, right? And I've read all of them to different degrees. I think I've read most of all of her books, basically. Um, and my, my preferred used to be Amanda Quick because it was historical. It was more fun um, because you get all the historical tropes. But I enjoyed Jane Ann Krantz, and she did a lot of stuff with um, romance tropes that I really liked. So, for example, she has um, she has this book called Hidden Talents, where the the main character, the heroine, proposes a marriage of convenience with the hero because her brother gets lost at sea, um, and to save the family company because it's a family-held company, she wants to marry this really great investor. Right? Okay. <laughs> anyway, basically, I just feel like this book is now Jane and Krenz. It's not Amanda Quick at all. Hmm. That's my feeling, um, partly because it's set in the 1930s. Um, so she doesn't have to use historical romance language, right? Mm -hmm. She makes no effort at, like... 1930s dialogue in my opinion actually I would argue she does and it's very bad well maybe I was just trying to maybe I was just ignoring it then but anyway uh, I just feel like it's not historical romance it doesn't feel like historical romance to me I don't feel any sense of time place whatever you know other than the frequent mentions of the depression yeah um, and then the other issue was I was reading this book and I just kept thinking of other better Jane Ann Krentz novels. So like mm -hmm. instantly I thought of this other novel that I actually love by Jane Ann Krentz called Sharp Edges. The main character, so the, the heroine is the curator of a glass museum. So she uh, chooses glass objects, objets d'art to put in her museum. And the hero is a private investigator. They go to an island that's basically like an artist colony because this dude who died there left all of his glass. He, he was a glass collector. He left it all to the museum. And so they go to the island to investigate. So she's going to look at the art and he's going because there's some issues with his death, right? 
guess who the ultimate villain turns out to be? One of the owners of an art gallery on this island, whose name is Fenella Weeks. Okay, so she's just copying herself at this point. Well, it's like, hmm, okay. I also immediately thought of a book of hers called Falling Awake. This is a black ops federal agency that harnesses the power of dreams to solve crimes. <sighs> okay, let's talk about their magic powers. Okay, let's so, talk about their magic powers. <laughs> Vivian can open up her inner eye and see things about people. Yeah. Unclear what exactly this power is, if it's just sensing an aura or if it's sensing a mood, because like in one case, she opens it and realizes she's looking at like a very bad person, but she yeah. closes it up because she doesn't want to see more. But then one time looking at one of her like models, she looks at it and figures out he's gay. Yeah. So I'm very unclear as to like what this power exposes about a person. Yeah. I, I it feels like so it feels like another Amanda Quick novel. Um the first in the Arcane Society series, which I don't remember the name of the book, but um, in that book, it's a photographer who takes spirit photos. Cool. So his power, Nick's power, um, is a family curse where apparently men in his family hallucinate murders and it eventually drives them crazy. But Nick has figured out how through meditation and thought focus, he only sees fever dreams for the murders he's being paid to work on. This is a lot of inference. This is not actually stated in the text, but that's kind of how I interpreted it. But his quote unquote fever dreams through meditation give him an actual fever and make his eyes look crazy. But unclear what that actually means, because they talk about coming out of one of his trances was so bad. His first pseudo wife basically left him over it. Whereas... Yeah when Vivian walks out on the balcony and sees him in a fever trance, she just thinks he's like feeling a little peckish. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what these powers actually do. And I don't know what the characters look like when using them. I don't know what the point of what the point was of putting in like that they had explicit powers uh, in many of her books. She has like little hints like, Oh, she had this feeling of rage from this person. But you know that like, let's be honest, that's in a lot of books. Right. Where you can be like, wow, this person seems really weird to me. You know, it doesn't have but to I be actually, like an actual power. And I thought here it actually did a disservice to the writing mm -hmm. because both powers give the main characters insights into people that they organically wouldn't have. You're right. And so what it ended up resulting in is a lot of exposition, like stuff that an author would usually have to show and not tell you. She used their powers as an excuse to tell, not show. Yeah. And it's part of what contributed to this book being so friggin' boring. I the was, amount of things you're told about or that the, you know, main character sees in someone's mind. Yeah. Brings down the tension a lot. Yeah. I was extremely bored by this book myself. I had to struggle to finish it. And mm -hmm. I was really interested to hear what Lane thought about it because she's not like the Amanda Quick. I, I don't even know like what the super fan, I guess. She's not an Amanda Quick super fan. So she hasn't read like, 50 books and has I've only read the so, ones you've given me for the podcast so what three of them two or three yeah mm -hmm. um so, so but I'm glad to see I'm honestly very glad to see that it wasn't just being full of references that made the book boring it's because it was kind of a bad book well and Meg was talking about the fact she didn't feel like any effort was made to get into the 1930s mindset and I'd actually argue that this was 
attempting to be evocative of the film noir style of movie, especially. Mm-hmm. And I think the way, like I'm thinking of Maltese Falcon, Cal- Casablanca stuff. that's a little bit later than this in terms of like when it was actually produced, but was mm-hmm. very much referencing those time periods. Mm-hmm. And you've got the detective who speaks in brusque short sentences. You've got the murderer with like a physical object. That's an obvious tell. And I think she really dipped in and out of attempting that in a way that made a lot of the dialogue and the description really jarring. Yeah. And like, you know, are you a 1930s film noir where of course a random photographer observes the scene and is like, this murder is a photographer like me and leaning into the overdramatic? Or are you trying to be an actual detective novel where you're telling me the clues they're following? Mm-hmm. And I feel like she tried to split the difference and it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. No. And now you're making me think of another book of hers called Soft Focus, where they go to a film noir festival to find this oh thing. There's a lot of film noir references, but in that book, it makes much more sense because it's set in the 90s. And so it doesn't have to be film noir all the time. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I think she, especially some of the dialogue between Nick and, uh, Vivian struck me as trying to be very like snippy in a Dick Tracy, you know, Rick from Casablanca kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it failed. Like there yeah. wasn't the chemistry, the palpable tension. It was just short sentences stating facts and she didn't give you enough context to get why that was supposed to be romantic in and of itself. Yeah. I also think she like sold a lot of her characters short and just like, it, honestly, it felt really lazy. So that's, Vivian's that's sister... Like. Vivian's sister is supposed to be great at business and like should be the one inheriting daddy's company and is like potentially going through with this marriage. That's a bad idea because she wants access to the company and in describing what her sister's skills are, she is told you're told you're not shown. You are told Lyra is good at direct quote business subjects. Sounds legit. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much more we want to go into it because honestly, unfortunately, I, this just wasn't, this wasn't her best work at all. Whether you've read her, whether you haven't, it's just boring. This is a boring book. Yeah. I have a couple more nitpicks from a writing standpoint, just to like drive the point home. So in chapter 39, Vivian is hanging out in the hotel bar and you're told that it's uncharacteristically packed, even though the hotel has plenty of amenities. And it's not until the next chapter when you switch to Nick's perspective that you're told the reason everybody's staying at the hotel is because it's raining. Mm-hmm. And like, I was wondering, she went on this whole paragraph about like, it was so uncharacteristic for the hotel to be packed. And I'm like, oh my God, what's the thing keeping everybody in? Thinking it was like a part of the mystery. And that's like why it wasn't told to me in text. And then the very beginning of the next chapter is just, he's getting soaking wet. Yeah. It just like, she built tension in accidentally in all these irrelevant ways and everywhere there should have been tension there was none yeah how offensive was this book Uh, I mean I don't know I found it very hard to be offended by anything because it was I I really really struggled hard finishing this book Mm -hmm. uh I mean I agree with you so Lane has pointed out in our notes that the treatment of mental illness is extremely problematic. I mean, it's terrible. Like all, so all of the, all the murderers, cause there are at least three 
possibly more, are mentally ill. So they're not murderers because they actually have a motivation or a reason to do it. They're murderers because they're crazy. And it's genetic. In Yeah, in some cases it's genetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, As three in the of brother, the murders. The brother, the brother combo is genetic, and then and their father was a murderer. Oh yeah, their father was a murderer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Forgot about so that. It was very I bad. Not a lot of this book, sadly. Um, but I wish I could. Yeah, <laughs> you will soon enough. <laughs> but one of the things that I am a little bit interested in discussing is, is the treatment of gay characters in the books. So mm-hmm. this is something that, again, is pretty common in Amanda QuickBooks, uh, is that there will be sympathetic gay characters. So one that comes to mind that at the time was like really kind of a great depiction was um, this book called Deception by Amanda Quick. So Deception was published in 1990, and it's about a woman who was raised by her aunts, it ends up that they are actually a lesbian couple. You know, they were a lesbian. They're dead. They're dead in in the book. She's alone now. But she was raised by her aunts, who were a couple. And then later in the book, there's another. She meets these other women, and she knows. She was like, yeah, they're they're a couple, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, I mean, it seems very nicely done, especially for a novel in 1990, right? This is a this is a book like literally 30 years later and they're treated very similarly. Right. I would argue in giving the characters in 1990 life partners, that was more progressive than the way the gay characters are portrayed in this book. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. But they're they're sympathetic in that they're not the villains of the book and then it's not treated as like something that's disgusting or wrong but Mm -hmm. that's it it's not elaborated on in any way and one of them is just looking for a beard because he's a he's a hollywood star Mm -hmm. he needs a woman in his life to deflect attention yeah, it, it offensive might be the wrong word. It just came off as very, very dated. Yeah. And I thought the the examples used to represent and like show the reader they were gay were really bizarre. Like the first one is she's taking pictures of a guy and she's like, imagine Greta Garbo, imagine, you know, Mae West or whatever, women of the time period. And then he's not making a sexy enough face. So she's like, imagine Clark Gable and Cary Grant. And it's like, he's an actor sitting for a photographer. Like he's not, if he can't act turned on when there's no one there without being told to picture men, like that's lazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. Like it was lazy. It was outdated and it was lazy. Yeah. So to me, that was the thing. It's like, it wasn't, it wasn't offensive. It was more of a, is, is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just it, it has anything changed. So for me, for me, really, most of my criticisms of this book have to do with comparing with her better back backstory backlog. So well, back. and I'm just saying dated in general. Like I'm yeah. not comparing it to any old stuff. But yeah, yeah. Whenever I whenever I read a book where they're like, especially it's a female character who picks up on the fact that a guy is gay and then says something to make it clear that she's like totally fine. 
Mm-hmm. We're just so far past that. Yeah. Well, and I that's hope. the thing it's, too. It feels like, so unnecessary. Yeah. Like when I think back on deception, I'm going to spoil deception here, guys, but it's, it's a 30 really, year old book. So it's, sorry. It's a 30 year old book. It's, it's really fun too. What happens is, um, she, she meets the ex fiance. So she's married to a Viscount. She meets his ex fiance who at first she was feeling like very inferior to because this, she's beautiful. She's sophisticated. She's a woman of the town. Right. And she meets her with her companion and, um, uh, the, the, the rumor going around town is that the Viscount is a cold fish because he discovered the lover of his fiance. And then he just dropped her. He didn't call the man out. Mm-hmm. And, um, the heroine was like, well, of course you couldn't call him out. He was a woman, you know, you mm-hmm. can't call it a woman. And it's like, oh, this is like actually like kind of well done and like kind of cute. You know what I mean? Like, I think you well, can see that in a, you know, a modern book. I, st- I think fake out twist it was a lesbian all along is still kind of dated. It's like that joke. And this isn't about sexuality, but you know, the joke where it's like a, um, a boy and his father in a car crash and get taken into the hospital. And yeah, the yeah, doctor yeah. says, I can't operate. I can't it's my son. And the punch, it? the yeah. punchline's supposed to be like the doctor's a woman. Mm-hmm. And when the fake out in a modern romance or a modern media of any kind is, Oh, it was a misunderstanding. They're gay. I still think that reads as kind of outdated. Yeah. I don't know. It would be interesting to read it because um, I like it. It's a, it's a fun book. It's it's completely silly uh, mm-hmm. and fun. All right. I'm thinking, have you seen Bridget Jones's diary? Mm-hmm. Like the twist in that is that his coworkers actually in love with Bridget, not with him. And I really hated that even at the time. I thought it was yeah. like an uncomfortable depiction of homosexuality. Yeah. I, I'd be interested in this one because it's more than just a little fake out twist. It's like, it's a little bit mm. more than that. So, okay. yeah, there is a, there is one element where there's a punchline, but then there are others where it's, it really is more integral to the plot. So, okay. I'd be interested. Uh, sexy. I did not find this book sexy. Um, they are hooking up for the first time. And the thing that tells her she's driving him wild is he, she um, starts touching his feet and complimenting them. Yes, his sexy feet. Also, that was my rock bottom, like as a person. That was rock bottom. Here was mine. He touched her breasts as if they were delicate works of art. I think one of the worst things in this novel is how often the two characters define themselves by their profession. Mm -hmm. And not as in like it's very important to them and it drives their motivation. I'm thinking is when she has the first orgasm ever in her life, she describes it as finding the secret to the best photograph of her life. Mm-hmm. Like not everything is related to your job, girl. Right. Like, I know. don't forget for one minute, she's a photographer and he's a detective. They have to talk about it constantly, even in unrelated situations. It was honestly, it was a Mad Libs. Lane. Amanda I know. stole a Mad Libs book. And every time it said noun, she put in artist or photographer. I'm going to end this with another comparison to a better novel in the Go. sex scene. She he takes off all his clothes, of course, and she's a little bit taken aback by how big he is, right? By his size. She's surprised at his uh impressive physique since she's seen a lot of the male form because of her photography. Lane, does this remind you of any novel that even you have read by Amanda Quick? Perhaps Mistress? Mistress? Yeah. 
Do you remember in their first sex scene when he disrobes and she was like, wait a minute, because she's she's an expert in Greek and Roman antiquities. She's like, wait a minute. I thought I knew what the male form looked like. I have studied a lot of statues in my day and you are a little bit different. I'm just glad we didn't have to deal with the is that going to fit trope because I hate that trope. I know. But like literally I was reading it and I was like this. She has written this before and she has written it better. Yeah. You know, so for me, this, this whole book was just comparing it to her her previous books and how she did it better. So and for me, this was comparing it to literally anything else I could have been doing with my time. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. We would if you're enjoying the podcast, that you read this book. Oh, yeah. No, don't recommend it. Um, and if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review and subscribe.